0: Down to Business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk.
1: You're very welcome to this Saturday's Down to Business. I'm Bobby Kerr. This is a very special show where we're coming to you from Austin, Texas, and New York City, where I've been all week for the annual EY CEO retreat for this year's Entrepreneur of the Year competition. We have a packed show for you over the next two hours. You'll be hearing from the former American footballer and baseball player. Kwan Cosby, who now works as a business advisor. I'll be talking to the Secretary of State for Texas about his love of all things Irish. I'll be in the New York Stock Exchange. You'll also be hearing from some of this year's EY Entrepreneur finalists about the issues facing them during a post-pandemic landscape. And loads more besides. You can tweet at Bobby Kerr. Please use the hashtag BobbyMeansBiz. Or you can email me at downtobizmus.com. At newstalk.com. So, all week I've been in Austin, Texas, and New York, uh, where we've been part of the EY Entrepreneur of the Annual CEO Retreat, uh, which we've been doing every year for I think about the last 10 years. And I'm delighted to continue the association with Down to Business and this great event. So, let's get to it. Our trip starting in Austin, Texas, and it was all about business. Have a listen to this. Now, I'm here with. You. Terry White, Uh, she's an expert in line dancing. She's also the the daughter of the proprietor here who opened (laughs) this bar in the early 60s. Is that right?
2: My father built it in 1964. Right. Yep.
1: So it's been going all those years, Terry. So tell us about line dancing. How does it work?
2: It's two step dancing. Okay. It's couples dancing. It's what we do here every night. And it is an old classic two step, one of the original two steps. And then you Add your spins and turns, and you're going to see some of the best dancers out here tonight.
1: Is this for every age. Is it? You say
2: it's couples enough, but any age, any color, gay, non-gay, anything, whatever folks you boat, do doing. Is it a big tourist thing? It is a huge, to a huge tourist. It is on a lot of people's bucket list. And then when they come, they like, oh my God, Terry, we can't just to come the focus, ball. Okay,
1: well you're gonna show me how to do it now, Terry. So, Holy moly. Here right, Walk me through this.
2: Remember, too slow, we're gonna do this. And when you do it for real, there's only too slow, too quick, too slow, too, too quick. Too slow, too quick, okay, too here quick. we go, folks. Now, too slow, too quick, too slow. Coach. Let me give you another count. We're going go. you for teaching me thank yes, you for your patience this is fantastic we I really love enjoyed this. Laugh
1: about it. okay thank you so much you're very welcome yes that was me trying my legs at line dancing now we meet some fascinating business people and educators during our time here in austin texas first up was a fascinating lady who's a professor of instruction who told us a little bit about the business story of austin now, I'm delighted to welcome to the program uh, the Assistant Professor of Instruction at uh, Texas Ed- Executive Education at the University uh, of Texas at Austin, uh, Mellie Price. Melly, you're very welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Bobby.
1: Now, Melly, this is our first day in Austin, Texas, and we, we thought that we'd speak to you about maybe asking you to give us maybe a kind of an entrepreneurial history of Austin. Uh, tell us how it came to become... A great place that it is now for innovation, for tech, for all the exciting things that have happened, but you know a little bit about the history of the place, so you might enlighten us if you would.
3: <laughs> great, well, I moved to Austin just over 30 years ago, um, and so, you know, the history goes back even, even before. Going back to the 50s, uh, Austin, which at the time was a capital city and a city with a university, that was the majority of our economy and majority of our population, There was an emerging industry related to computer technology. A company called Texas Instruments, that many of us know uh, for making handheld calculators, um, started here. And then we had a company from the University of Texas called Tracor. Um, Many of these early companies uh, had their roots and Department of Defense related contracting, Okay. but they started to build the semiconductor industry and in the 70s and 80s the University of Texas was actually at the epicenter of building these companies, building the technology, building the semiconductor ecosystem.
1: What well, I'm right in saying that there was some change, I think it might have been in the 70s, where universities were allowed to make profits because that wasn't the case I think in the traditional model.
3: Yeah, yeah. it was actually in the 80s that right. there was lobbying at Washington DC to allow public universities to use public funding to pursue research and then for that research to be commercializable. Okay. That legislation really fundamentally changed the game for the University of Texas and we were able to create companies that were associated and spun out of the university that helped build the Austin economy. Companies like uh, Motorola, 3M, Semitech. These companies were attracted to Austin because of the consortium of high-tech companies that were here in the 80s. Uh,
1: Dell is also one of your success stories. Uh, Michael Dell, and he may not be the best ad for the university, but he's certainly uh, uh, an ad for the success of Austin.
3: Yeah, well, Michael Michael Dell is a hometown hero here. Uh, started PCs Limited out of his dorm room here at the University of Texas. Has gone on to be an extraordinary business that went public and then uh, decided to buy back the company to return it to its private status. He's exhibited the skills of entrepreneurship Uh, and navigating those uh, turbulent waters and has gone on to build just an extraordinary company and be a a fantastic philanthropist in our community. Much of our health ecosystem is there because of the Dell family um, give back to the community to provide healthcare for our community and to stimulate innovation related to healthcare and sciences.
1: Um, You you talked then about the 80s 3M, uh, Samatech, Dell, etc. But there was also not all just tech industries. We also had uh, South by Southwest, Whole Foods. Where did they come in along the journey? because you know they they're not tech, but they they maybe use the platform of tech. Uh, for the reason to roll, okay, here.
3: Well, uh, if I if I may, I'd push back and say it's the other way around. So South by Southwest started really as a music conference. Austin is known as the live music capital of the world, yeah. and in the '60s, '70s, '80s, we had a very robust music ecosystem that drew a lot of creative talent to the to the community, and so it started as a conference to convene music lovers and the music industry globally. And then from there, it actually evolved um, back in the 90s when we called it multimedia, and it evolved to the South by Southwest multimedia conference, and then they added on film. And here we are all these decades later, it's now an interactive conference, and music is the smaller part of it. And so the tech came after (laughs) the art and community, which has kind of been at the soul of the Austin um, small business community for a long time. It's a big part of what we're known for.
1: When we look at uh, you know the success of tech in, in the city of Austin, like there's other things that are also hugely important. Uh, quality of life, where you live, the weather, you know, all those things that are not work related. Tell us a little bit about Austin and where it ticks the boxes in, in those areas.
3: Well, Austin is a capital city. Uh, it's in the center part of Texas. Texas is a big, 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 vast place, but we have something called the hill country here in Austin. So we actually have tiny, tiny hills, um, not quite mountains, but they're hills. And it makes for a beautiful ecosystem. We have the Colorado River flowing through the center of town yeah. um, that really roots the community. There's a lot of water, a lot of greenery, things that you're not used to seeing in Texas. So it's no doubt that it was chosen as a capital city and uh, a destination for the, the, for, for, for the primary university. Um, it makes for great quality of life. It also comes with allergies. <laughs> And it's also the liberal, the for us the uh, democratic and the liberal city inside of a very Republican yeah. state. And so it's it's interesting that the community in Austin is so diverse and open uh, to people from all walks of life when we live in the in the most Republican state in the in, in the U.S.
1: When we talk about you know entrepreneurship and you know Series A funding and that whole world. We look at Silicon Valley, we look at what's happening here in Austin, like you're involved as an entrepreneur and in investing in businesses, like sometimes the business of raising money has become a monster in itself, in other words, yeah. you've got a huge amount of companies maybe taking an investment they don't need, you've got money being spent badly. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen around that.
3: You know, I think um, I've never met an early stage company that didn't need the money. I think what happens is founders raise more capital than potentially their market will serve. And what's important is that we educate our entrepreneurs about the expectation that investment funds come with it's not just money it's money that has an expectation of a rate of return over time so what matters is can you meet those expectations and you know if 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 you can't grow uh, exponentially then you should find a capital source that doesn't expect you to grow exponentially and so I always tell students and and entrepreneurs that I work with is make sure that your capital source is aligned with your timeline and your horizon for growth and your your goals for growth not every company needs to double and triple and quadruple within a couple of years it's a it's it should be a success for a company to grow 20, 30, 40% a year. That's extraordinary success.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with you, but like, isn't there, isn't there when does when, when all this money sloshing around, just to put it bluntly, does it, not, does it not sort of undermine the marketplace in that money has been maybe spent badly? Would we be better off with slower growth, more st- stability? Um, you know what I mean? More solidity around, uh, a little bit more security, even, uh, rather than this high-risk place where you know there's high stakes, but they come at a cost. What's the failure rate of, of startups in 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 Typically, it's what, 90-odd percent yeah, of it.
3: Cl- Yeah, close yeah. to 90%. And so it is a high failure rate. Uh, it is also a high risk-reward ratio. Yeah, And so I think well, you know, if you think of it in terms of portfolio theory, you have a, a a chunk of money that's that should be at high risk. You also have a chunk of money that should be at the other bookend, be at low risk. And then in the middle is different rates of return. Portfolio it's, investment. Right, right. And so there are some companies that they, they've they're transformative ideas, they're gonna open new markets. What matters is that they get to the market as quickly, fast, and scale up as quickly as possible. There's other products that maybe are incremental improvements, provide quality of life uh, changes that are gonna be more organic growth companies. And uh, they all need to exist, right? Yeah. That's, that's the fundamentals of a, of a healthy economy is that different levels exist um, and, and any community needs to have that diversity in it.
1: So finally, can I ask you then, Mali, um, about Austin, you've been here 30 odd years, what about the next 10 years, what do you see happening here, what, what are, what's likely to happen and how do you see the city and indeed its entrepreneurs evolving?
3: Great question, wish I had a crystal ball, uh, you know, I think Austin, the fundamentals in Austin are strong. Um, we produce great talent at the University of Texas, at St. Edwards University, the universities around here. We have one of the more robust co- community college programs in the country. Um, so we pr- produce vocational talent as well. We have plenty of space. And so I, what do I expect? I expect us to see continued growth, whether or not it's a double-digit growth yeah. or not. Um, you know, for us, any, any growth is going to feel like slowed growth if it's not as fast as we're growing now. Um, So I do foresee uh, perhaps a slowdown, but not in a way that's unhealthy. It's just, it's no longer exponential. And I actually think that's good. I think it's good for a community. Um, uh, I think we'll continue to see strong fundamentals. It's just uh, the root of the city.
1: Well, listen, thanks for giving us... uh an entrepreneurial history of the city, this great city that is Austin. Melly Price, Assistant Professor of Instruction, Texas Executive Education at the University of Texas in Austin. Thanks so much.
3: Pleasure, Bobby. Thank you for having me.
1: Now you're listening to a special Down to Business today. We're bringing you the show from Austin, Texas, for the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Annual CEO Retreat. Let's keep going. Now, American football and indeed baseball are fundamental parts of American life, and a man who's been hugely successful in both codes is Quan Cosby. All the way from Mark, Texas, he joins me now. How are you, Quan? I'm good, man. So
4: happy y'all are in Austin. Uh, talking American football and baseball, That that's really cool to me. That's something that's been super uh, passionate and, and part of my life, so okay. love to share it with you guys.
1: Great. Well, tell us a little bit for our listeners then. Growing up in Mark, Texas, you had a, a fairly challenging upbringing. Uh, I think you were adopted into a military family. I was. But they saw the value of education, uh, and you were a natural sports talent. Tell us more.
4: I was, man. Uh, we, 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 we did. I was adopted. Unfortunately, my, my mother was a single mom. My dad was uh, in jail, incarcerated for a long time, so... He wasn't around and really about my seventh grade year um, things got so bad at home that I was adopted by like you said military family and that was cool because a couple of things that they acknowledged is one even though they were a phenomenal in military family they couldn't really afford college so with my athletic ability that was my way to start working harder they loved education and my, my dad said it all the time he's like man Use this to get your degree and get your wow. education. It's going to last a lot longer. I love sports, but let's let's see how sports can get college paid for, and that's how I eventually ended up at the University of Texas, and I did get my degree. Um, but I also fortunately played for the Anaheim Angels uh, baseball and played in the NFL. So it just I, I took the, a different route, but it, it worked itself out really well.
1: And maybe for our listeners who wouldn't like who wouldn't be, I suppose, all over the the way. Um, uh, college football works. So the, if we talk about, say, the size of the game, so when you were playing at school, you were from a town of 1,700 people, yes, but you would have regularly played in front of thirty or 40,000 people. Yeah. Then when you go to college uh, here in, in, in Texas, you're talking about you know, audiences of 100,000, 120,000 every week. Every so these day. are big, big numbers.
4: <laughs> They're huge. And, and, yeah. and to your point about even the high school level, super small town, but it's such a big deal in, in this state and economically and watching good fun football and the passion they have for the kids that play it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, when you get into playoffs and things, you're averaging 35, 45 and that's a small town. When you're, if you're a larger school um, in the, in a, in a big city, you're averaging 60,000 folks at, at a game. And then you go to Texas or Texas A&M or most of our schools um, this weekend, we had 106,000 folks in there and another Two million watching so it's just it's a huge sport it's, it's fun it's it's developmental a lot of life lessons but uh, people like the American football around okay. here
1: and if we look down at some of the numbers behind it so so the University of Texas the team here the the college football team is turning over 200 million out a year like so so and you're I think you were telling us earlier that after one game all the costs are paid for so this is really generating huge huge sums of money what and that's probably good in terms of supporting the sport but maybe there's some downsides to that. Are people, <laughs> are people being paid too much? Is there a war on talent? You know, sometimes when things generate a lot of money, it can generate other problems. Oh, that's,
4: they, they, uh, there's been
1: lots of artists who say
4: more money, more problems. <laughs> and, and yes, that, that, that certainly is always a factor because, and I even take it to an even you know, surface level. Some people are, the reason they generate all that money because sometimes the tickets are 600 bucks And someone may buy that and not necessarily be able to afford food for the next week. So that's getting a little deep in the woods. But truly, um, it's just demand and and talent. You know, certainly you have to have a good product out there. And some years are great for University of Texas, some years not so much. But the love and and the perspective on what it means in the states is is what doesn't change. So uh, there's going to be 100,000 people in that stadium no matter what.
1: Just you were telling us again earlier that you know when we talk about these the high school games, only one percent of those players that are playing in front of fifty or sixty thousand people are making it uh, to college football. But I think you were saying that eighty-one percent of guys who only have what less than three years—I think—is the average career. So after a three-year career, let's call it. You've got an eighty-one percent chance of being bust or in some sort of financial difficulty within five years. Yeah, walk so, yeah. us through some of those stats.
4: Yeah, eighty-one percent of the, the 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 guys who play NFL football, because the average year is also only about two point eight years. Eighty-one percent of those who make it and play that that time frame, or, or you know a little bit longer, end up in financial troubles because one is just. Economically, you're only paid for a short period of time and you live those weeks as if you're paid that for 52 weeks and yeah. it's just not realistic. So in the off season where you don't have any money coming in, you, it's just if you didn't manage that correctly, you see a lot of folks in, in really big trouble. Um, or even if you buy a super expensive car and you don't have finances coming in in the off season to afford your leases and your monthly payments and all the above it's just there's so many different factors of living in and then of course taxes and you have agents and uh, every time you name something that's a percentage of your money going down
1: there's always, to take there's your always money away from somebody
4: it. taking it even the person if it, you have someone managing it, they're taxing you too so just people, especially young men, uh, not understanding that perspective and how I, I've always lived off net. I got super lucky. I have no idea how I knew it, but um, I live off, I mean, I've tried to factor in living off 30 to 30, 30 to 40% of what my salary says yeah. it is. And, and if you can do that, it, you're in a lot better shape and everything on top of it, it is it's gravy. But... Um, unfortunately, that that's what happens a and lot. What, are, what
1: would the NFL be doing now to maybe alleviate that? I, what about education? <laughs> what about telling guys, you know, so look, lads, you're only here for two point eight years. You need to be doing X, Y,
4: and Z. And there's two answers to that. Individual teams do try to warn players for that and and try to get them to to be responsible with their finances. However. The NFL is entertaining and we love it and we see it for that way, but NFL is also a business. Yeah. And so the owners, it behooves them not to tell them that yeah. because they want the player broke because afterwards when they sit at that negotiating table, if the player don't have a lot of money, they're in negotiating yeah. leverage. And so that's the real business of the NFL. They they actually are very okay with the culture of guys spending too much money and going broke because that gives them the leverage in the next contract talk.
1: You you talked as well, and I know you're involved in business. You're Vice President uh, Risk Management at Marsh McLennan Agency. Um, So can you talk a little bit about the parallels as you see them between uh, business and sport?
4: it's it's amazing the, the the amount of parallels um and really from a standpoint of team building leadership all the above entrepreneurship of uh, one me the disciplines that i have to take into make it to the highest level is a lot of them that these entrepreneurs have to take to survive
1: yeah
4: and then building a team we talked a lot about the tom brady's peyton mannings and these amazing quarterbacks but they're only as good as that lineman that's protecting them. They're only as good as that running back, the receiver that they can throw it right to his hands 20 times, but if he drops it, it means nothing. Yeah. So the amount of team building that has to happen and people that, that have to make things play their role, they may not be the superstar, they may not be the CEO, but their role is so important to the success of the overall team, and I think that's another huge parallel to entrepreneurship and and business. And and like I said, going back, none more than the disciplines it take to be successful.
1: Yeah, and you talked as well about, uh, you know, there's so many guys on the pitch, but there's what, 90 odd people on the team what are all the other guys doing?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I know, man, and so really there's 11 on 11. So you have offense yeah. and defense, and those are the starters. But the other guys, they're playing roles. Um, they're 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 playing what we call scout teams. So as we were preparing to play the other team, some of those other 90 guys are playing the role of the other team right. and they're given this book and they need to execute it on that level. And given the best realistic look you can get makes that preparation better for game day. So if you've seen this before, you're more likely to be ready for it. And and I remember so many plays, a guy would walk up and I was like, man, my buddy showed me this play and I've seen this and, and boom, when you do that, you're in trouble because I know what's coming. Okay. And so that's those other 90 folks, the role they play is just huge for the success of the overall team. Although you don't ever see those 90 players on game day or in a press conference, they're super important to success.
1: But uh, finally, then you also know that if you're on the pitch, that there's another 89 guys there <laughs> waiting to take your place. So <laughs> that works as well. There is a massive, <laughs> in everything we do in
4: life, there's competition. Um, as great as you know it is to make it to the NFL, what we recognize is there's still someone bigger, better, faster, so you have to always outwork them. In all things we do, working hard is going to be the key to a lot
1: of success. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with you. Quan Cosby, Mm -hmm. uh, Vice President of Risk Management at Marsh McLennan Agency and... Uh, former uh, NFL wide receiver, uh, and to, yeah, wide receiver. I was expecting a man to be like six foot eight here, but they're not all that way. You gotta, you must be really fast. I'm
4: all five ten of me, and I made it,
1: so uh, I
4: appreciate that. You were and, uh, fast. Thank y'all for having me, and thank y'all for visiting Austin.
1: This is cool. super important. It's really cool. Now we're here at the EY 2022 Entrepreneur of the Year CEO Retreat in Austin, Texas, and it's now time. To meet some of the finalists and indeed some of the alumni and to chat about some issues facing uh, business and entrepreneurship and the first one we're going to look at here today is sustainability how to make it work for your business as well as the environment because we'd like to look at both aspects and i'm delighted to be joined by four guests and uh, we've got jamie o'rourke from mainline john T. O'Sullivan is from bio atlantis colette toomey is from the Clannock Food Company, and Jenny Timoney is from Fitpink. So we've had nicely balanced with two finalists and two alumni. So uh, maybe we'll start by just asking you uh, to introduce your company. And we might start with you, John T. Okay. John T. O'Sullivan, tell us a little bit about what you do.
5: BioAtlantis, we're a biotechnology company, and what we actually do is totally around sustainability. We produce products that mitigate stress caused by cold drought and heat and waterlogging and And as everyone has been aware in the last month or two in England and Spain the extremes of temperature and uh, caused by climate change and the products we can do can protect the crop for 10 to 15 days against excess temperatures either going cold or heat Again, they can protect the, product, the product crop against drought, but that would only, again, be for 10 days. But again, with have some seriously interesting results okay. in terms of the
0: water logging.
1: Um, our next guest is Jamie O'Rourke from <laughs> Mainland. Uh,
0: Jamie, you might just tell us a little bit about your business, if you would. Uh, thank you, Bobby. Um, at Mainland, we like to say we're, uh, we're doing our bit to save the planet, uh, one renewables project at a time. Um, but in reality, so what we do is uh, we work a lot in the renewable space, uh, on the po- particularly on the power side of that. Uh, take a wind farm, for example, design and build of the substation, connecting the, w- the substation then back to the turbines and indeed then back to the grid as well, the electrical infrastructure. Uh, we also do a lot in the aviation space.
1: Okay. Very interesting. Now, we'll get more on that in a second. Um, our next guest is Jenny Timoney. And again, I know you of old Jenny um, in, from your old business, Doolittle's, when you were a finalist here uh, some years ago. You can tell us what year that was. I, I'm too old to remember all the years. So
6: Thanks, Bobby. <clears> yeah, I was a finalist in 2007 with uh, Doolittle's. And I'm back again with a different business. So Fitpink is an activewear brand for women. Uh, we're based in Donegal, and um, we are... Five-star reviews and award-winning.
1: Finally, then, by way of introduction, I'm delighted to welcome an old friend of the show, Colette Toomey, from Clonacalty Food Company. Colette, tell us a little bit about
7: yourself. Thank you, Bobby. Colette Toomey, and um, Black Pudding, Clonacilty sausages and rashers and um, we have a manufacturing um, plant in Clonacilty. Sustainability is very much in, in, in our thoughts and as it should be, I think, with all the, uh, the food in the industry.
1: I know you'll be telling us about the veggie pudding veggie, in a second, but yes, yes. Uh, we we we'll come veggie, back to that. If we go back to you, John T., you, you said about your products and as I understand them, they provide, I suppose, solutions where there's been droughts, where there's been extreme weather. So... Uh, who, who's your main
5: customer? I suppose the uh, 98% of our uh, revenues are export. Right. So we only have 2% in Ireland. But even in the 2% in Ireland, you're, 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 you have um, people that would buy, buy the product to retailers in terms of for potatoes, uh, I- improving um, tuber set. But where our big market overseas, because we're selling in over 35 countries worldwide, is in the high-value-added fruit and veg area, okay. California, in actual fact, would be one of our big markets.
1: So, if you look at something like uh, growing oranges in Florida or peaches in South Carolina, tell us then about what those farmers are doing uh, or why you we are helping them be more
5: sustainable. Um, again, the critical part in any crop is fruit or tuber set and they. Uh, to actually get a good yield, you need a good tuber set, and the crop or the crop actually will decide how big the tuber set is, or fruit set is, depending on the stresses that are there at the time. Right. By we applying our product, a foliar application of our we actually can improve significantly the fruit set of those crops.
1: So that's where then uh, sustainability pays, in other Correct. words, if you're giving better yields, Correct. By being more sustainable, why wouldn't you?
5: Correct. And the good thing about these, our products, they're all from uh, sustainable resources. We use seaweed as one of the primary uh, ingredients okay. in our products. And then they're all classified as organic as well. So the customer gets something that has full traceability, it's certified by their organic grower, and we're not just looking at the organic growers, but the uh, commercial growers like the certification by the organic bodies.
1: Uh, Jamie, if you, I know you, you told us there about Mainline and how you work in renewables. Can you give us maybe a, a sense of where we're at uh, with renewables, uh, how much the percentage of, of our energy is coming through it, our targets for 2030,
0: they seem ambitious. Give us a sense of where we're actually at. Right, so we we have very ambitious targets for um, 2030. We're looking to be net neutral all of our... uh, So we'll create enough power through... um, Uh, and electricity through renewable means Uh, a huge part of that is the offshore aspect of it there's five gigawatts of offshore um, renewable energy wind energy um, Mm. to be developed and operational by that time Uh, a lot of work to be done there's five uh, five particular uh, offshore uh, offshore farms um, at fairly advanced stage and some of the first of those will be um, hopefully breaking ground in the next uh, 24 months uh, so a lot of work to be done. Last year we would have generated nearly up to forty percent um, from renewables. Uh, obviously, it depends on on year to year weather, etc. Yeah. Um, there's a huge dependency on gas. Last year was it was forty percent again. Um, about twenty percent of that coming from the Corib, um and that's diminishing. So, okay. um, The importance of renewables, uh, you know, as part of an overall solution here is.
1: And um, maybe good. can I ask you another question? We hear about onshore and offshore. What is the cost differential there like? Or is there any, again, rule of thumb that that isn't actually scientific, but clearly it's more expensive to develop offshore than onshore. Does that mean that we won't do that or that we won't do it, or should we be doing it regardless of the cost?
0: no we have to do it as part of the, the solution because the volume of um wind farms and the, and the generation, um, you can get much larger uh, turbines out to sea um up to you know there's north of double digits now uh, megawatt wise so the, the the typically at the moment the biggest Onshore um, wind turbine would generate five six megawatts yeah. of power. Um, a larger, uh, the larger ones that are looking at offshore are double digits uh, into the twelves and thirteens. So the uh, and the, the technology is improving all of the time. So by the time these projects um, go to gr- you know break ground, shall yeah. we say? Um, the, the economics will you know, potentially have, I won't say levelled up, but the, the gap will have reduced. Um, it is obviously more expensive, uh, dependent on the depth. Um, there's floating um, turbines as well now being developed. Um, you have obviously the distance out from sea, and then a huge part of it is the, the cost of actually, once, once it um, hits land, getting it tied into the existing okay. infrastructure. Jenny,
1: back to you. Um, when we come to your business, Fitpink, what does sustainability look like in, in your business? And remind us again of what it is you sell. I was sure. looking at the website. Your products look really, really, really cool and really, really with it. But where does sustainability fit in in your business?
6: Um, well, I suppose when I was starting the business about two and a half years ago when it was in the planning stages, it really occurred to me that it's really, really difficult for businesses that are already established to retrospectively build sustainability in. So I was very conscious of building sustainability into our business model as much yeah. as we could. So as a result, from day one, all of our package has been um, decompostable. So it decomposes in the same time as a banana skin, which is 30 days. Um, we've always shipped by sea, so everything comes over and reduces our, our carbon footprint. Um, and really, we're the opposite of fast fashion. So there's a big issue, um, as we know, in the world with um, discarded clothes filling landfill. Our products will last several years. So our yeah. leggings. And um, You know people are telling us that they' they 're coming back to buy a second pair two and a half years after we launched, and um, just because they want a different color so really we 've tried to build that into our business model, so it, it it's there from the start
1: yeah that's that's really good and I think I think what you say there about building it in early, uh, making it part of your DNA rather than trying to retrofit it like I think it's more challenging to do it uh, that way but over to you, Colette uh, and again the uh, somebody we know for many years, but the guilty pudding story and the business has been—it's been an amazing story for you. You've got the visitor centre in Kilty. but I suppose people are always asking you about sustainability. You told us you were going to tell us about the veggie puddings, so we might start there.
7: A lot of a lot of sustainability, as I said, now is is very foremost in our minds. And um, yes, we did um, develop and um, put a. Uh, veggie pudding on the market and we're about to do veggie sausages now as well and um well that is as much to give people um choice as well and we are we are um very much meat um, producers as well but in our whole plant you know um if, if you're aware of sustainability, then you will bring it most to the to the to the fore. For example, we were buying um, from Flavens Oats. We were getting bags of & oatmeal. Yeah, from
1: we up the more
7: old. and more and more bags. Now we get it in one-ton bags. Yeah. You know, we put in the um, the recycling. We're recycling the the recycling almost. We're dividing out the recycling. We are putting in. Um, even though we have a new manufacturing plan, we're now putting in um, solar panels and you know heat recovery all those things and the big one is packaging, yeah. Big edu- packaging, reducing packaging, but there's a great sense coming from the multiples are, the, they're encouraging, they're demanding it, um, but I do think that there is a big education issue with um, people and food waste, and I think people are not aware that um, it's causing such a, yeah. such a problem, and I think it is from the top down, is from government and from education that that will have to come.
1: And and so those those examples that you gave us there, it's a, they outline a kind of a, a good business case to be sustainable. Like if you if your customer won't buy your product because he or she doesn't like what it's in, like while, while it's yes, in yeah. You know, there's a cost to not having the the it correct is, solution. It
7: is. I mean, it is an, an everyday cost. It is um, because um, you know. Every time you change packaging, every time you change labels to get the, the more sustainable labelling or packaging is more expensive. Okay, but it's an, an expense you have to you have to incur.
1: John T, I'm supposed to close out. Uh, you seem to be in the right place at the right time with the right product uh, Would I be right in saying that I
5: would have to say that and yeah. what we're trying to do is uh, We've a range of products some are to protect the cross from climate change the effects of climate change But there are other aspects of our business that we're trying to look at producing biopesticides to replace some of the harmful chemicals that's being used for the last hundred years, they've been very beneficial, but they have some serious collateral damage. Where the products we will bring to the market, they will be totally free of contaminants, and they can be invariably registered organic. Which means your your science and understanding of the problem has to be much greater. You really have to know the problem in depth, and we've got kind of nature working naturally, is our matter. But you really have to understand nature and how to work with it. How to actually provide natural products, ingredients extracted from natural products, from plant extra, plant, plant materials and seaweed that can actually have serious benefits in terms of plant health. Which we're in animal health again we're looking at something that can replace uh, antibiotics or use of antibiotics in the pig area and then we're also looking at products that can improve the health of people uh, of human health good man and
1: we wish you well on your journey um jamie you're a busy man you're in a in an area that is going through huge change huge demand we've seen the pressure that people now have on the price of energy again Have you any thoughts on on where it's going? Um, uh, You know, all the time developing a kind of a sustainable.
0: A portfolio of business. Yeah. Um, How do you balance that with the cost? Yeah, I suppose what does sustainability mean for us, um, you know, it, it, it's a, a, a wide variety of meanings. Firstly, have you've got a sustainable profitable business with a sustainable pipeline, um, but then about, uh, I suppose, looking at the, the ESG, the environmental social governance side of a business, you need to build a business considering all of those aspects. Um, uh, diversity and inclusion, all of those things. Uh, uh, you know, the culture of the business, uh, a place where people want to come and work. And you know, the the, the green aspect of that, the environmental aspect of that, and um, the fact I suppose that we're we're in um, a lot, you know the renewable space uh, and uh, how we deliver in that sector. Uh, from you know, the, the, everybody's heard that re- re, you know reduce, reuse, recycle. You know, separating waste, all of that kind of stuff. I'll give you one example on a, a large project we had in Sweden. Uh, we had 95 kilometers of trenching to do, um, and we, you know, one one option uh, was to, is to import the backfill. Alternatively, you crush the stuff that's there and you reuse it, um, you recycle it, essentially reuse it, and um, c- considerably reduce the amount of um, traffic, the time that you know the, the, the transport uh, needs, and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, you have to be, it has to be driven from the top down by your by the stakeholders, um, and also and um, you know you need to look at your suppliers and what they're okay. doing and all of that good stuff oh, so it's a, it's a holistic approach
1: uh jenny just again uh, when you're looking forward now as i say you got off to a good sustainable start have you got thoughts on how you're gonna you know consider that going forward
6: Sure. So really, when we're looking at uh, new product development in the future, we're looking at um, sustainable materials such as uh, recycled polyester, reprieve, bamboo. But by the nature of our products, all of our leggings and our T-shirts would be sweat-proof, squat-proof. They don't slip down when you're exercising, and they're they're technical performance wear. So it's a challenge in trying to find sustainable materials that um, have that performance element. element. So it's important to us that um, any changes we do make to the materials, we use it still has to stack up on a a performance
1: last word to you Colette you mentioned there food waste Um, is there something that we can do as a nation to prevent uh, food waste
7: well I I think awareness is one of the things I was at um, a talk recently and they gave the figures for the actual amount of waste in the home the amount is the staggering figures yeah. and um, I know in industry and we have um, we have bought we have origin green you know we have different criteria that we um, we just this week now got a gold medal for our sustainability they're measuring ongoing measuring well measurements of um, of the industry and I'd be very confident with those kind of guidelines there that, that um, the right things are being done um, but again who who would have thought that most um, food is wasted from the kitchen fridge? Yeah,
1: okay. Well, on that note, we'll leave it there. I want to uh, thank our panel. Uh, firstly, I want to thank our, our finalists, Jamie O'Rourke from Mainline and John T. O'Sullivan from BioAtlantis, thank you, and indeed, thanks to Colette Toomey from the Clonacilty Food Company, uh, from the alumni, and Jenny Timoney, great to see you back again with Fit Pink, Jenny. So thanks very much, one and all. Thank you, much. Thanks, thanks, guys. Now, we visited a few different businesses here in Austin, and we went to the Capital Factory, which is an incubator hub. We met a fascinating man. Have a listen to this. Now we're in downtown Austin. We're just coming into the Capital Factory. It's an amazing place. It's an incubation hub for everything that centers around the Department of Defense. I'm delighted to meet uh, the Director of Internal Collaboration here at the Capital Factory. He's one Marcos Cervantes. How are you, Marcos?
8: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Bobby.
1: Now, we heard your introduction earlier. You told us that you, in a previous life you were one of my all time heroes,
8: Q. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> well, so I spent 22 years in the uh, Army where uh, I did weapon systems development. And towards the latter half of my career, I worked with the special operations community where we look at a lot of prototypes, really the one offs. And a lot of people, when I retired, said, What did you do? And it was really hard for me to explain. I got glazed looks, and so I thought of I love James Bond, and I, I've, I really put missiles on trucks. Q is who I am and what I did. I work for the 00s.
1: Well, I'm happily honored here to have met uh, the USA's <laughs> own Q here. But you brought your world then after the military, Uh, you could have done any job I'd suggest but you decided to work here at Capital Factory. So maybe you might explain for our Irish listeners what exactly goes on here.
8: Sure it really starts with the culture that is here and that culture here not only in in Capital Factory but even in the city and the state is about collaboration and that's a great Uh, recipe for a lot of success, right? And, And really any kind of industry vertical you go to. But another layer to that is understanding our partners and really our national, their national needs in order to defend our way of life. And so, you know, the military has recruiting stations outside of the military base. And so the military thought, you know what, we really need to get ahead of innovation. And so how can we go to those pockets where innovation is really on the forefront. And so they set up an innovation, almost an innovation recruiting center here. All of the services, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy. And that's really to also coincide with the civilian sector and what is going on. And not necessarily drive those type of requirements, but how can I just reinforce those requirements that are kind of already out there to keep that competitive edge on technology.
1: Like, where we come from, the military is a much smaller player right. in, in our overall lives because it isn't an active force. It isn't. So the scale of the business associated with the military in somewhere like the U.S. must be quite phenomenal. Isn't it? It,
8: it is. And yeah. what you're also seeing is, you know, money is not growing on trees, right? It's a balance of, of, of really the nation. And so it's really there's a lot of redesign of effort. So you had the Small Business Administration say, how can we incentivize small business growth? And that came within the startup community. But what they saw a lot of is was kind of misdirected. And so the military has certain budgets, certain things, but they wanted to get after innovation as well. So they aligned the two and they essentially, the money that's coming from the Small Business Association is the form of grants is sponsored by an executive agent and that's the military. So, the military kind of acts as almost a Sherpa for that startup to say, yes, when you are commercialized and you're out there, we'll buy your product, which is a great recipe, right? So, that they can see the demand signal and know things are going on. And equally, the military
1: recognize that they and their structure is not the best place to do that. You
8: know, sir, that's exactly right. And, And so, how can we be adaptive? Right behind me here, there's a quote from General Shinseki. that says, if you don't like change." you're going to like irrelevance even less and so that's part of us remaining kind of on the forefront of the edge and pushing the limits of possibilities
1: well thanks for meeting us here marcus this is a fascinating place we're going to have a look around now and see what it's all about but thanks for that introduction anytime and 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 i would like to meet you
0: down to business with bobby kerr brought to you by bank of ireland saturday morning at 11 on news talk